there, and welcome to FUDS on Film. I'm Drew, I'm joined today by Scott. That's me. And this is our intermission episode for March 2021, and this is going to be two of us and only three films, so I'll lean in the episode, and because this is audio and not video, we can say, with a straight face, lean. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, let's just get straight into it then. No theme for this, just stuff we've seen, and the first thing, what we have seen is the Mauritanian. Scott, the Mauritanian. Yes, which is based on Mahamadou Oloud Salali's uh, memoir, Guantanamo Diary. And to anyone that's paying attention, simply bringing up the spectre of Guantanamo will tell you all you need to know about what you're going to see in this film. Uh, Salahi is played here by Tahar Rahim and is taken from his family home in, well, Mauritania and held without charge under suspicion of involvement in the 9-11 attacks in the mildly controversial Guantanamo Bay facility, ultimately (laughs) for... Over 14 years, excluding the occasional jaunt to CIA black sites for a spot of the old enhanced interrogation EX plus alpha. His case is eventually brought to the attention of defence attorney Nancy Holder, played by Jodie Foster, who takes on the case and in the process of uncovering the facts, uh, we'll hear a bit of the life story of Salahi, which, to be scrupulously fair, would have warranted a bit of questioning at least, but surely not the horrors inflicted on him by the American Torquemadas. On the other side of the coin is the military prosecutor, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Couch, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who's tasked with and heavily encouraged to secure a prosecution, but in the course of reviewing the supposedly damning evidence finds mainly just hearsay and this much the same takeaway as the Spanish Inquisition, that being that if you torture someone enough, they'll eventually tell you what you want to hear. To his credit, he does the right thing and refuses to prosecute this non-case. It's just a great pity the US government cannot come to the same conclusion and waste another six years of an innocent man's life in appeals. Now, I don't believe I have anything particularly negative to say about any aspect of this film, as opposed to the subject matter, which would warrant as much negativity as I could muster for as long as I have oxygen. However, I would be lying to you if I said I could muster a great deal of enthusiasm in talking about the film. Uh, Now, to be clear, Raheem Foster and McCumberbatch are all great, and director Kevin McDonald's keep things bombing along well enough, if you'll pardon the phrasing. Uh, But perhaps it's just the miserable nature of the central content that makes it hard to be enthusiastic about, which compares rather poorly on my part, given the uh, frankly incredibly forgiving and reasonable attitude that Salahi has shown throughout and after this ordeal. It's a very well-made and put-together film, telling a story that needs to be told, especially given that Guantanamo Bay is, barely believably, still stinking up the joint. If you're in the mood for an alternately miserable and enraging experience, then get this in your watch queue. Drew, what do you make of this one? Uh, Much the same as you. Although... When you introduced it, um, talking about EX plus Alpha, I'm thinking some sort of super torture move where they throw an asteroid at him. It's about the only thing they didn't do. Yes. <laughs> I think, certainly, Slahi's proximity to certain people and, and receiving a phone call from Osama Bin Laden's satellite phone, you know, merits a little interrogation, certainly. I, I don't mean the interrogation as shown in this film, I just mean, okay. you know, reasonable questions. Yes. <laughs> And I don't think the film really does that well enough. But, I mean, that's sort of besides the point because, you know, torture is wrong. Proven time and time again to not work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And also you've got all the questions of, like, well, you can't just keep people without in prison without, you know, charging them. That's wrong. And torture is wrong. And then you have all the questions about... Well, what authority did the United States have to do anything to this foreign national at any point anyway? You know, none. Yeah. <laughs> so all sorts of problems there. And yeah, the the acting is very good. The the three principal cast members in particular, as you mentioned. And if this rendition of, well, 
renditions are bad word to use <laughs> in this context. Actually, this uh, portrayal of Slahi is in any way realistic. Then, what a remarkable person he is! Yeah, to have kept so even tempered, yes, <laughs> and to not harbour the rancour that would be very, very justified, <laughs> entirely warranted. Yes. And so it's a very well-made film. I enjoyed it. And as with all films of this type, you know, that kicker at the end, it's like, yep, that sounds a bit right, but that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. With the little bit of information you always get at the end of these things. What I did find myself thinking, though, was that perhaps this should have been a documentary. Yeah. There's always the, the problems that come with trying to make a drama, a fictional drama from real events, because you necessarily have to change things to make them rewarding as a narrative. Yeah. Uh, so you always have a doubt about what's happened when, to whom, those sorts of things. So while like making something a fiction is often a good way to tell a story, to humanise a person, or to kind of give a capsule view of something, at the same point, it can be quite unsatisfying. It's like, I think facts would be quite useful in this case. Yeah. <laughs> the ones you could feel, you know, were stronger. You could have some faith in rather than like, yeah, did that happen? Or, or is that the screenwriter? You know, and so, sometimes it works to tell a story to get people interested in the subject. But I mean, Guantanamo Bay is not, you know, a little known, little talked about subject or anything. Yeah. Uh, and I just wonder whether this perhaps might have been served better by a documentary. And that's that's my only real issue with it. It's like, I'm not entirely sure this is the best form to have told this person's story in. Yeah. Beyond that, yeah, very enjoyable, very well acted. I, I don't think I've seen Tahar Rahim in anything before. Um, I'm certainly like to see him again. I'm quite impressed with him. Uh, yeah. And his multi-language acting, which always pleases me. Yes. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen him in anything either. But uh, yeah, certainly that was a very good performance. Ah, he's in a prophet, which is one of that storied number of things I've bought on Blu-ray for a long time and never watched. And I've had wanted to watch a prophet for a long time, then bought and largely forgot about. So that yeah. <laughs> forced me to watch that. But no, I don't think I've seen him anything apart from that. But I, I may fix that soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a more dangerous, interesting little. I, I, I was thinking watching it. It's, it's an interesting little companion piece to Zero Dark Thirty. It's got the same kind mm-hmm. of um, vibe to it, and obviously. The subject matter has some degree of similarity too, so yeah, it kind of fills that same kind of hole. Um, to take on board the point, um, yeah, maybe it's be best just to to read the his memoir, Guantanamo Diary, instead. But um, I think this kind of works well enough as a as a film. Yeah, um, I thought I wouldn't discourage anybody from from watching it, and it's like even where your politics lie, it shouldn't really matter because you no, know, you should be doing things with due process and according to the law. And that's not what happened in this guy's case. Yeah, you know, absolutely. If, if someone if someone is guilty, then they should be punished, particularly when they're, if they're guilty of the crimes that are alleged in this. But then that has to be seen. It has to be proven because that's how the law works. That's how you feel safe about other people's convictions, how you feel safe that things are being done correctly. Yeah. If you do things in secret and don't actually obey the law, then it, it kind of ruins it for everything. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think people don't understand that, but... Um, yeah, definitely worth a watch. Fair dues. Shall we move on to Ride Your Wave? Yes. 19-year-old Hinako, Rina Kawai, has returned to her childhood home of Chiba to attend university. 
selecting that city in particular to allow her to indulge her great passion of surfing. The sea being the one place where the somewhat awkward and clumsy young woman is, a gra- is graceful and poised. Here, she attracts the attention of the two-year-older firefighter Minato, Ryota Katayose, who regularly watches her ride the waves from the top of the fire station, and calls her, cryptically, his hero. A fire next to her apartment building, and her subsequent rescue by Minato, is the spark that ignites... Look, if if this film isn't going to be subtle about its metaphors, neither am I. Mm. Uh, a spark that ignites an energetic, cute, and largely believable, if cheesy, relationship between the two. And we're swept along so they have a number of dates and experiences together. This budding romance, the first third, more or less, of Ride Your Wave, is fluff. Heartwarming, enjoyable fluff, to be sure, but fluff. A pleasant confection, but... Likely to be forgettable, and, given its saccharine nature, after 90 minutes, likely to give you cavities. But tragedy unexpectedly strikes as Minato dies while trying to save someone from drowning. The more complex and more rewarding remainder of the film, rather unexpectedly, becomes about grief, with a strong undertone of self-belief and too much focus on eggs as food, because (laughs) eggs are boufing. Oh, and magical water ghosts, which Minato now is. I should probably mention that, it's quite important. (laughs) In the typical way of ghosts, Minato has some unfinished business. To wit, ensuring Hinako is able to ride her own wave and move on. In the less typical way of ghosts, I can't believe I wrote that, (laughs) he only appears when Hinako sings the song the two sang together on their first car trip, and then only in any nearby accumulation of water, leading to a wonderfully tragicomic scene in which a grief-stricken Hinako opens her soul to a toilet bowl. After convincing herself that she's not mad and that Minato really is in the water, Hinako becomes happy again and resumes, as much as she is able, her relationship with Patrick Wavy. <laughs> her friends, and particularly Minato's prickly, blue-ringed octopus of a little sister and his firefighting kohai, Wasabi, who can see Minato, but can see Hinako talking to water bottles and giant plastic water-filled <laughs> porpoises, are less convinced of her mental state but they're her friends and will stick around to help her let go of Minato and get up on that metaphor That's, I mean surfboard once again we are not I think supposed to take much of the action particularly seriously especially not I hope the plastic porpoise <laughs> it's all playing rather tongue in cheek but it doesn't mean that the film's explorations of grief and acceptance as well as self-belief are any less earnest or valid and its tone does mean that the sentimental sections are often juxtaposed or even cut through with some very funny moments, making for a very pleasant mix. It is a strangely conventional film for the night is short walk-on girl director Masaki Yuasa, though maybe he fancies some of that Makoto Shinkai money and fame. And in tackling that magical, mystical young adult fair that Shinkai has made a stomping ground, much of Yusai's flair and style has necessarily been submerged. But there are hints in there still, as well as some little digs at the trappings and cliches of these types of films, though not enough to call this parody or satire. I'll finish on an aside, because, well, me, hello. And that is that it's... This film that has once again sown a massive doubt about whether I'm actually correctly getting out of many films what has been put in, due to, let's say, questionable subtitling. 
I had a number of options for Ride Your Wave and dipped in at a random point near the start to compare them before watching the whole film and my, there's quite the difference. As Minato and Hinako are in Minato's car together for the first time, Hinako remarks about Minato's fondness for finless porpoises and notes that his car, a Fiat Barchetta, even looks a little like one. Given that the car is a Fiat Barchetta, quite clearly a Fiat Barchetta, and that the character clearly says Barchetta, I made what seemed the sensible choice and selected the subtitle track that reflected that. And not the track that instead read, Don't You Think It Looks Like Cuter or the Little Ghost? A 1960s manga character, by the way, a quick Google tells me. Now, I don't know Japanese, so I can't say that that character wasn't also mentioned at the time, but I don't think so. But if I hadn't locked in on that section to test, who knows how far from the original intent my experience with this film might have been. <laughs> this, of course, has nothing to do with the film, but I add it simply as a cautionary tale and a reminder that it's often worth doing a little research on the quality of subtitles of what you're going to view, especially for language is different from any European languages as Japanese is, and especially when it's something as much worth viewing as Ride Your Wave. Yeah, um, this film very much is what it is. Um, <laughs> I I made the tactical error of watching this on, a, whether it was the, the version I got a hold of or the format, the device I was using to do it, I couldn't change from the English um, dub. So Ooh. that's what I listened to now. There is a problem inherent in almost every English dub of this sort of film, which is sort of the, the kind of. I know these characters are supposed to be older, but they act like teenagers. And teenage girls in Japan bring a certain timber and enthusiasm to the role, which, when it is tried to replicate by an English actress, sounds absolutely terrible. And that's yes. pretty much what happens for a large portion of uh, this, um, you know, in a way where there's a. Where the kind of the dour, um, more cynical younger sister very much doesn't. Uh, you know, there, there's wide stretches of this where the character actually just sounds quite annoying. Um, it's one of you can get away with that in Japan in, in Japanese, but it doesn't work scan quite so well in English. Um, I don't know whether that's fair or not, but certainly it is my experience, and you can't change that from me. Um, so <laughs> a lot of this was kind of annoying. Um, all that kind of section where you're supposed to be building up some kind of sympathy for it was just slightly grating. So, but between that and the essential frivolity of everything that's on display here, I wouldn't say I really got all that much into any of it. Um, it's affecting enough. It does what it needs to do by the end of it, but um, yeah, I wasn't hugely engaged by it, but I wasn't repulsed by it either. It's certainly got it has its moments it looks absolutely lovely most of the time it's a, it's a very pleasant film to watch perhaps not to listen to but certainly to watch um yeah i i don't know if it would have been better or worse i was expecting it to kind of lean more heavily into the the ghost to be more of a kind of coping mechanism and it to be more of an explanation of mental illness than it was actually being a ghost who could control water <laughs> so i was i was expecting it to lead me down a different path than it actually did i'm not sure that my expectations being confounded in that thing was necessarily a benefit but it's the kind of film that it is so you know it's, it's just a light-hearted throwaway romantic comedy with some vague supernatural elements it's um <laughs> and judging on that basis it's doing it about as well as i suppose you could so i don't really have any huge complaints with it but it's just not really the sort of film i'm all that interested in so i guess that's kind of what is ultimately reflected in my general unpleasantness of it all yeah i wonder how much of that is the dub too uh, i honestly don't recall the last time i watched 
an English language dub of a Japanese film, it may be in the cinema release of. <laughs> it may be in the cinema release of Hell's Moving Castle, right? Because I purposefully yeah. avoid them. Yeah, I've seen. I've probably watched some since that. I thought I'd watched in the past, but I mean, like as a new, yeah, yeah, a new thing. And when it comes down to yet yeah, there's like there's cultural things, and yeah, it's like there's a Japanese teenage girl voice is a very particular thing and it, mm. you're right it's got, it doesn't translate at all no <laughs> um, and then you come back to the translation problem too because sometimes translation is just done badly the bigger problem that I've found one of the reasons I really don't like dubs is that they're very often done arrogantly there's so many Japanese films Studio Ghibli ones were really bad for it um, at least I've heard second ad because I'm going out my way to not watch them but with like they'll just they'll add in lines that aren't there when like you, the characters' backs are turned or something, where there was never, never any dialogue in the Japanese original, they'll stick some English language dialogue in there. Like, why? Yeah. And I don't think it's because they're trying to explain a concept that would be understood in Japan. That's a really weird way to pronounce that word. There. <laughs> are you the understood. announcer from Street Fighter Two? <laughs> Japan, <laughs> USA. <laughs> no, um, I don't think it's they're trying to like explain like cultural references or something. It's just I don't know. It just feels like arrogance. It, it's, um, I, I don't know whether it's arrogance or that kind of fear of having any kind of dead air or space in children's entertainment, which you know typically that would be you know seen as. Mm-hmm. And well, if you've seen any kids' TV or kids' TV show or any Pixar film, you know even Pixar's better for it than most. But there will still be lots and lots of action and talking all the time just to fill out space so that people don't, you know, because you can't can't forfend that a kid might sit and watch something for more than two seconds unless something entertaining is happening all the time. Yeah, imagine having space for your own thoughts. Imagine <laughs> thinking about a film as well. I've already explained to you, but um, <laughs> yeah, whatever the reason, I, I wonder how much the the film suffered for that, but yeah. it's the same thing. So, uh, it's why um, even if you're watching the, the original language as well, the one thing you must absolutely do is at all costs avoid dub titles. Yeah. Try and find good fan-made subtitles. They're often better than the allegedly professionally produced ones, but absolutely avoid dub titles because they're appalling. Yeah, I enjoyed the film a lot. Um, I wonder if whether you might have got more of it um, had it been not in English. That is the general rule of thumb with anime. Yes, um, so probably, but <laughs> can't say for sure. What you did mention, though, Scott, was about um, a child meant to be sympathetic. And our last film has a child that I believe is meant to be sympathetic, but given that I wanted to boot that child into the sun, it's perhaps best that you're introducing Minari and not me. <laughs> Very harsh. Um, yes, Minari. Uh, Minari, where the Korean-American Yi family become surely the first and only people to move from California to Arkansas. I suppose it was acceptable in the 80s. Uh, Steve Yoon's uh, Jacob Yi seeks a new life as a farmer of Korean vegetables to cater for the increasing number of Korean immigrants to the country, although until that's up and running, he and his wife, Han Yuri's Monica, won't give up their day jobs as chicken sexing, which it says here is definitely a real job and won't get you put in some kind of register. Uh, Monica's less enthusiastic about the whole upping sticks and moving to the sticks deal, and even less so about their trailer home, and the distance from the nearest hospital when their youngest, Alan Kim's David G, has a heart condition. Arguably hard to stun by, but least analysed, is elder sister No Kate Cho's Ann Yee, who's saddled with a lot of babysitting despite being a baby herself. Setting up a farm is naturally a great deal of hard work, and is not without its challenges, and it's these challenges, 
or rather the deleterious effects these have on family dynamics, uh, particularly Monica and Steve's relationship that is a central concern of the piece. Further spice is added when Monica's mother, Yun Yu Jung's uh, Sunja, arrives from Korea, shared a room with David, much to his displeasure, and there's also some local colour in the form of the eccentric Korean war vet and now part-time farmhand, Will Patton's Paul. Not knowing anything much about this going in, I suppose it was I suppose I was expecting racism to be a larger part of the story, so it's refreshing to see that by and large it very much isn't. Shame this week's real life events don't have quite the same positivity. Uh, but here at least instead, it's a tale of immigrant experience, hard work and human relationships, inspired by director Lee Isaac Chung's own experiences. Uh, much like the Mauritanian, I don't have all that much negative to say about it, but at the same time I can't get all that excited about it. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to think this is more of a me problem than an it problem, particularly given that my only niggle with the film is that Jacob and Monica's repeated motif of their relationship saving each other is hit rather too squarely on the nose by events at the film's conclusion. I suppose given the origins of it, comparisons with Parasite are invited, although a closer match on at least some levels is shoplifters, and if those are the comparison guns you're pulling out of the armoury, then I suppose it must be advancing the war effort in some front. I'm not quite sure where that train of thought is trundling towards, but suffice to say, it's all very efficiently told, well acted on the cast, and I thought especially the ones. Um, so, no huge complaints with it, so I'd certainly recommend it. Um, yes, that's that's a borderline here and caught. Uh, that'll do to wrap it up. Um, Drew, why do you hate kids so much? Oh, I hate everybody, Scott. It's easier that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I've... I thought the kids' acting was good. I, just, I wanted to put the character into the sun. Yeah. Um, I just thought he was a little brat. I didn't like him at all. But if he was meant to be a brat, then well acted that kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned Shoplifters. Shoplifters was very much in my head watching this, except Shoplifters is superb. And this is fine. Yeah. It's okay. I didn't reset my time with it, uh, although I very much resented the ending. <laughs> so I'd heard, and I didn't know a great deal about it, Um this is a film I'd pick to watch largely off of the buzz it's getting. It's got all sorts of awards. It's um, expected to continue getting them in the next couple of weeks. Big, yeah. We're deep into awards season now. And it's again, it's like, it's, there's always a danger to that, but it's like, it's, like, it's a bee's knees. And I thought, like, it's kind of, like, even just the idea of it being in a mixture of Korean and English, and but like, it's like a Korean family kind of isolated within the United States. This is quite interesting. And there's some interesting things in, in there. And, it was rather refreshing, particularly in a place like Arkansas, at least the, the mm. reputation Arkansas has, that racism really wasn't in it at all. Yeah. That was nice, particularly given this was 1980s Arkansas. Yeah. Um, so that was really quite refreshing, and it's kind of like, that's not the point of it. It wasn't even like particularly anti-immigrant or anything, not just like a, a skin colour. It was like, so that's all quite good, and it's just this family struggling to... But at the same time, I just didn't find it particularly remarkable. Yeah. It was well acted enough, but you're right again, like the, 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 the metaphor of the, um, the relationship being a bit too on the nose there. Yeah. And then there are two things that happen right at the end. And I suppose, let's say that if, uh, we're probably finished now, if, if you don't want to hear how the film ends, stop now, skip ahead. Mm. Uh, just because I want to, quickly mention these um, and I don't want to give anything away to people who I mean, worth a film worth seeing but the events at the end Scott I mean I suppose it's even given it away all that much but like after they very um, very conspicuously talk about how nonsensical water dowsing is yeah divination then at the end suddenly they're doing that is that like what was that supposed to be saying that really made me angry but also like 
are they saying that that was actually right all along? Or is that kind of part of being in Arkansas that they accept that kind of nonsense? Or like, what was that saying that suddenly that's what they're doing? Um, given that their scientific method, more scientific method, had worked. Yeah. Just like that particular one dried up, but we just use the same method again in a different place, you'll be fine, I think. See, I don't know what I was saying, but also, like, this couple's having all this trouble. They're on the point of splitting up. They probably should. They're not happy. And then suddenly, like that, oh no, everything's happened. We're all together now, working together. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that, that just seemed to come out of nowhere. That didn't seem earned. That didn't seem to follow on with what happened before. So either they're saying they're going to be miserable, they decided to be miserable together for some reason, or it was like, oh no, um, the fire magically fixed everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a jump, um, yeah. I did, uh, also, the only thing to mention is the, the name, I was wondering what the name meant. Obviously, it was some sort of metaphor, and the Minari is some kind of Asian parsley. Yeah. It's got a few different names. It's an Asian parsley, and kind of grows anywhere, and I thought it was like, well, was that the, the idea? It's like, it can grow anywhere, and is that what the family are doing or something? And no, apparently, like, the main metaphor there is that it grows very strongly in the second season after it's died and come back. It's like, okay, your metaphor works, but your film doesn't actually support that happening to the family because it makes no sense they would do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it feels like there's missing scenes. And I, I was vaguely frustrated by that, uh, which is why it's it's not special. It's a good film. It's just nothing special. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. It's, it's, it's worth putting on your list, but it's, it's, I can't get all that excited about it. It's good, but... Yes, I, I don't think this is a you problem, Scott. I, just, I don't think it's... Cause I'm, I'm feeling so similarly. Yeah. Um, it's just... It's... Yeah, it's just... It's not brilliant. It's fine. It's not brilliant. And, I mean, not to the extent I have been with many other films, but it's one of the one of those times one thing I think what's all the buzz about yeah yeah, it's not all that great <laughs> yeah I know it's been a lean couple of years for films for a number of, of very obvious reasons but yeah it's uh, still think there's got to be something a bit better than this but celery celery which was probably one of the plants they grew <laughs> wah 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 hey um before I say anything else terribly embarrassing and awful uh, I think we'll finish for the evening so, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do. Usual ways, email, podcast at fudsonfilm.com, twitter.com slash fudsonfilm, or at fudsonfilm. And, God, we're probably still on the great societal evil. <laughs> I believe that's, that's, they changed the name officially, right? No? I think they're all still forwards to there, so it's fine. All right, okay. Um, but it's whatever, it's um, evil.com slash fudsonfilm, or Facebook will be direct or whatever it is. Yeah. That'll do <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> And we will be back in 11 days. Very much depends on when you're listening to this, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. Yes, by our published date, we'll be back in 11 days with a podcast that will definitely be about films. But since we haven't decided yet what they'll be, we can't really tell you. So it'll be a surprise. And, yeah, I'm going to shut up now. I'm hating sounding one of the voice, and I'm sure you are too. So bye. Bye.